the Appendix N Podcast, Episode 17, Creep, Shadow Creep, by A. Merritt. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we read and discuss the authors that influenced Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons. In the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax published a list of his favorite fantasy authors, and this list has come to be known simply as Appendix N. Every episode, we will read a story and talk about it. We will review the story and talk about how it relates to the game being played at your table. If you would like to be a part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming stories. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff. Hey, yeah, I'm doing kind of a finger guns thing, but you can't really see it because it's audio. All right. And uh, back with us to talk about uh, Conan is our subject matter expert, or, or at least so he's, he's been dubbed, uh, Peter Foxhoven. Welcome back, Peter. Uh, thanks for having me on again, guys. Awesome. All right. So let's get right to the discussion. We have three great stories to talk about. Unlike, unlike last uh, Conan episode, I thought this, some of the stories weren't uh, quite so interesting, but I cannot wait to dive into these three. Uh, the first story on our list is The Slithering Shadow, or it's sometimes called Zuthal of the Dusk, but the original Howard title was The Slithering Shadow, and it was published September 1933 in Weird Tales. And the synopsis of this story is that uh, Conan and his companion Natala of Brythunia uh, are in the desert. Uh, there's There's been a battle, and he and his uh, companion are the only survivors, and they, they're they about to give up, um, and Conan's about to uh, kill her, like, as a as a mercy killing, because he thinks they're, they're both going to die of exposure out here in the desert when they come across this mysterious uh, city of Zuthal, where uh, everyone is sucking on uh, lotus flowers and walking around in a, in a daze, and there's a weird uh, monster called Thog, who's just stalking the city, killing everybody. And uh, there's they they fight some people and they they escape, but it's mostly exploring this weird, mysterious city. And and I actually before uh, anyone else picks out their favorite part, I want to talk about the opening paragraphs of this story, because it, it opens with a description of first Conan standing just stoically wearing, wearing a loincloth and nothing else, and, and gazing off in, into the distance with his, with his rippling muscles and his mighty thews, and a, a woman, which turns out to be Natala, laying at, at his feet, clutching at his, at his knee, and I mean, the the reason this image stands out to me is like this. This is like the the like such a boilerplate image for like this genre of of fiction. Like I'm pretty sure I've seen this sort of image on 
novel covers. I mean, the the original Star Wars poster, Peter, as as you were pointing out earlier, features Luke Skywalker and and Leia in this in this pose. So I mean, but th- th- this is the first time I've I've actually like seen it like described in the context of a of a story. Yeah, it's it's cool to see that, right? Because it does paint the exactly what the pulps are going for, which are these larger than life sort of heroic figures. And for what it is, like having these very dependent sort of submissive female companions that go with them, as Natala really is in this story. I mean, she's very submissive. Natala could easily be like a eight year old girl. Yeah, uh, absolutely. As opposed to an adult woman. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's a it's a it's a thing that we keep. Uh, running into in these in these pulp stories, they are uh, both very sexist and uh, very racist, and that's that's unfortunate. Um, but let's let's get get to let, let's get to to the story now. This this city, I mean, it's it's an interesting place. Yeah, well, this is a story where the sexism and the racism did not jump out at me quite as much as in some of the other stories that we've read. Um, but what I really thought was compelling about this this setting, this city in the Slithering Shadow, is that it is Dungeon Module Before the Lost City by Tom Moldovay. I'm not familiar with that one. You're not? I know. I know. B two is the is the Temple of Elemental Evil. Oh, B2 is, okay, keep on the borderlands. Elemental oh, is Evil it? is uh, T1 through 4. Okay, well, it shows what I know. <laughs> See, that's why, that's why we have you on as a subject matter expert, Peter. You're, you're familiar with uh, all subject matter, apparently. I apparently like, decided that the modules were more important than you know friendships and talking to humans, I guess. Cause so wait, I what's, have... so what's, what's B1? Isn't, isn't that Hamlet? No, B1 is the... Um... The random uh, stock your own dungeon thing in search of the unknown. Oh, there's yeah. a map and there are room descriptions, but there's no monsters or treasure. And the uh, dungeon master is supposed to put in monsters and treasure. Okay, clearly, clearly, I know nothing about Dungeons and Dragons, and I, I think you know what, Peter, I think you should host a show going, going, going forward. That pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but um. So, The Lost City, Jeff? Yeah, The Lost City. Um, this is actually one of the, one of the only uh, early adventure modules that I've ever, ever run. I ran this in high school. Um, it is set in the lost city of Synodicea. Uh, you, the premise of the adventure is the player characters are lost out in the desert. They're low on water. They're in danger of death. They discover an entrance to an underground city because you know it has to be underground and, and, and basically a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to it by going down a um, a uh, pyramid that's been smothered by the desert sands, and then there's a city down at the bottom of it. And the inhabitants of the city are few in number. They're constantly drugged because they're all addicted to. Uh, to narcotics, and they worship a giant monster called Zargon, uh, who lives in a pit in the middle of the city. Well, that, that would seem to be directly inspired by this story here. 
Yeah, it's a really uh, close one-to-one match. I, I, it jumped out at me reading this. Except that that Zuthal is not um, under under underground, but but it's it's pretty much the same the same story. They they they, they come across this city, and and apparently, so at at one time Zuthal was one of these, you know, super advanced ancient civilizations like you know at Atlantis or whatever. I think that they have something like electric lights that they can turn on and off by by rubbing them or something. Is that is that mm-hmm. correct? With radium, they say. Yeah, radium, yes. yes, which was also the the favorite substance of uh, Burroughs. So, which is absolutely a word that people would have been using in the Bronze Age. You know, the word radium. So it makes sense that Conan would be familiar enough with it to understand it when uh, Thalus uses that word in Stygian. And of course, there'd be the word radium would be in Stygian, right? That makes sense, right? Well, cl- clearly, Howard is just substituting radium for for whatever you know magical powder you know Conan thinks that they're that they're talking about. Well, and it's nice. I know, it, I know. And it does kind of speak to the science of the day too, because if you look at where we are in the 1930s, um, and I'm not a great science person in general, but isn't Madame Curie? Didn't she like do a lot of her work with radiation right before that, or right around this time too? So this is kind of the stuff that, like, the idea that you have these weird elements that can glow and stuff like that is kind of becoming more of like a fact of science these days. And they've 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 also got this magical elixir that that keeps them living forever, kind of. Kind of like a couple civilizations in 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 boroughs that I'm like I can I can think of off 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 the top of my my head. So we we've got this this advanced civilization that that's that sort of declined because everyone's become addicted to is it is it Black Lotus? It's it a is. version of Black Lotus, yeah. And we've we've previously we've we've discussed on this show like all the different kinds of lotus in in Conan. Where where did we encounter Black Lotus before? Uh, Black Lotus is what was used in the Tower of the Elephant um, okay. in order to kill the lions. It's okay. a deadly poison. So it was right, it was yeah, poisonous, so the, but if unless you're in Zuthal, in, in that case, it's basically opium. Right, because the people of Zuthal have been using for... They're, they're, it's a very ancient civilization, so what you don't get that underlies... Um, a lot of the story here is they, they like mention in passing Volusia. And if we do that, that goes back to Cull the Conqueror. So like this earlier form, which um, Cull and Volusia, Atlantis, all that stuff happens in um, Robert E. Howard's chronology uh, several thousand years before the Hyborian Age. Okay, and so, so, so... So they're a very ancient race, and this city has been around in this southern de- desert south of Kush. Um, for quite some time, and they've just cultivated um, the black lotus in such a way that they've been able to make it a narcotic as opposed to a poison. It's it's, it's interesting that that variant, that yeah. cull exists. So 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 cull does exist in, in in the same universe as Conan. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, and and he was way way back in in Phoenix on on the sword. That was originally supposed to be a cull story, or 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 was it a um, was it somebody else? No, that no. You're totally correct. It was supposed to be a cult story. That's yeah. That's that's interesting. That that that's that, that that's that's interesting to me. Okay, so and 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 there's this weird like pseudo Lovecraftian monster called called Thog that uh, is is basically feed like they they summoned it way back when and just sort of kept it around and now it it kind of stalks the streets and 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 eats people. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. 
Uh, to, to me, it's, it's just it's just. I think it makes perfect sense. You have this glorious uh, techno utopia city, and the price of living in the glorious techno utopia city is that there's a slim but non-zero chance. It's a slim chance that at any on any given day, fog will show up and eat you. Uh, it's a it's a bargain that the citizens of Zuthal are willing to make. Maybe it's a. It kind of strikes me also like the, the. I never remember their names, but you know, like the three rings in Lord of the Rings that went to the elves, and basically all those did was kind of keep the elven realms more magical and kind of like better. Are, right? are, are you talking about uh, uh, Vilya, Nenya, and uh, Narya the Great? Heck yeah, sure I am. I never remember those names. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's. I think I kind of gather that it was a sim- is similar in in form. That maybe Fog's existence is what gives them their sort of techno prowess or their sort of longevity and that stuff. Like maybe that exactly like what Jeff was saying, where it's a trade off, and they just yeah, well, kind of decided as a culture to make it. Yeah, Conan is getting this information um, third hand because he's getting it through Thallus, the Stygian woman. Who is re- who is repeating what she's been told by the Zutholans, and it could be that there's some um, distortion that's going along uh, through that because the the reason that Thog is there is never really made completely clear. I don't think I don't think there's a straight answer as to why Thog is there. And 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 to me, like I just find it hilarious that that the monster is called Thog. Thog is a terrible name for a monster. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it is the basic monster name. Like, if you're just trying to think up a monster off the top of your head, the first name you're going to come up with is Thog. Maybe it's the first name you come up with. I mean, it, it's wrote... not the first name that, 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 that you would use, but it's probably the first name that you would, that you would c- just think of. Well, in B4, uh, Tom Moldvay replaces Thog with Zargon which I think is an infinitely better name, despite still not being that great a name. It's still just orders of magnitude better than Fog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he fit. we talked a little bit uh, uh, before the recording here that there are a few times where the names are not Robert E. Howard's finest hour, right? Like a few stories down, the giant ape creature's name is Thack, right? And then there's also a creature later on, num- number of stories from now, called Thag, which is Thog with an A. So it's not, uh, it's not uh, necessarily his strong suit always to come up and, with these names. And it's funny because, you know, Lovecraft uh, was great at names. And Howard and Lovecraft, uh, you know, they corresponded. So Lovecraft could have been naming these things for Howard. That could have happened. Yeah, it's a a missed opportunity. Absolutely, it is. Mm -hmm. Did 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 I make the uh, Nutella joke while we were recording? I don't I don't remember if if I did. I I kept hearing we weren't recording. No. Yeah, I kept I kept hearing uh, Nutella in my mind every time uh, Natala's name came up. So that was funny. Um, In my head, it was it was it was a funny joke. Okay. So, so we've we've uh, we, we've we've talked about this story, the Slithering Shadow, also called Zuthal in the of of, of the dusk. Uh, we've we've discovered through Jeff that it was probably the direct inspiration for a specific uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, module. So let's let's move on uh, to the next story. Uh, this one is the Pool of the Black One, published in 1933 in Weird Tales. I, I couldn't find uh, a a month. It was just published sometime in the year of 1933. 
So if, if any uh, Howard scholars out there, or Peter, if, if, if you know, okay, if, 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 if you can fill in in the month, uh, oh, no, let, I... us, let, let us know. What's that? Uh, no, my apologies. I, I wouldn't know the month uh, that yeah. it was published. I, I consulted the, the ultimate authority, Wikipedia, on, on the matter, and they just have 1933. So it's a, it's a mystery, guys. All right. So this story is is it, it starts out as as kind of a pirate story. Uh, it starts out with Conan basically climbing aboard a ship in the middle of the ocean. Uh, I, I guess he's been kicked off the ship that he was on before for uh, just for being Conan. I'm 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 assuming. Uh, and he meets a girl, and he uh, he meets the captain, and he. Uh, quickly um, popularizes himself with the crew because he's he's just he's Conan and he's 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 awesome. No, he 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 wins over the crew by beating a guy to 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 death. And he says, "Does anybody else want to want to challenge me?" And they're like, uh, "No." And then he spends the rest of the voyage just being awesome, you know, drinking, gambling, telling stories, and 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 being awesome. And the crew loves him. And so when they when they find a mysterious uncharted island, uh, the captain just goes off to explore by himself. And Conan's like, "This is this is where I become the captain." So he he follows the captain, kills the captain, uh, you know, with with the intention of taking over over the ship. Uh, but then uh, he discovers that. Uh, also on this island, there's some weird black giants, and by black I mean jet black skin, uh, very similar to the black men of Mars. In in the gods of Mars, uh, they're, they're they're giant black men with I think glowing golden eyes. Is that correct, Peter Jeff? They have, yes. They have glowing eyes and, and, and claws. Yeah, talons. Yes, and they have a they have a pool that they throw people into that turns. The people into weird shrunken people. Petrified bone is the phrase that Howard uses a couple of times. Okay, and there's a fight. There's a lot of violence, and then there is uh, some of the most excellent descriptions of running away that, that I have I have read uh, in a in a in a while. And they just it, it's it's very comical as they as they flee back back to to the boat chased by this. By this weird uh, green substance that that used to be in 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 the lake, and it, it just sort of ends with uh, Conan, you know, is 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 now uh, in charge of, of his own ship, and he's he's going to go be a pirate. Yeah, Conan takes the whole thing pretty much in stride. Uh, all of the other pirates are pretty well freaked out, I think, by the uh, water elemental monster or water weird type thing that is uh, that chases them down to the ship. Yeah, Conan's been through a lot by this point. Um, if we look at where this story is in kind of the tentative chronology of his life, this is about midway in his career. Mm-hmm. So it's still a number of years before he's king, but he already has been, spoilers, um, a pirate with Baylet on the Black Coast for some time. He's already been a leader of men. He's been through the stuff that we've seen in Rogues in the House. He's been through all of these different experiences. And so I think that him taking it in stride, like this is him just sort of finally being like, okay, it's not that frightening. I've seen something like this before, or at least other weird mm-hmm. things. He's very intimately aware that they're out there. And life at sea and becoming a pirate captain and for him, that's old hat. This is something he's done before, right? I mean, I mean, we're we're going through these stories in in publication order, not chronological order. So, I mean, what 
what what happens in 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 later stories and 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 debating where exactly this 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 fits in in the chronology is is not as interesting to me I think as the story it it, it itself. But I would definitely compare this to a story like uh, Black Colossus. Like this this is a story about Conan becoming a a leader, right? In in Black Colossus, we see him I think lead lead armies into in into war, and in this story, Conan just climbs aboard a ship in the middle of, of the ocean and by the end of the story he's he's gotten the crew on his on his side he's won over the captain's girl he's killed the captain uh, and, and he he is a leader of men right right and I think it's important for establishing his presence in the west so where Zingara is in Hyboria is like on the extreme western part of the continent like part of Hyboria sort of looks like Africa, and if you look at like where the Horn of Africa would be, that's kind of like where Zingara is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's his establishment there, because a lot of his adventures early on, especially the stories we've written, are taking place in the southern part of the continent or the eastern part of the continent, um, which are not as politically influential or powerful um, as like Aquilonia is. And Zingara is one of the countries that borders his, you know, Aquilonia, which he will eventually become the king of. And so I think doing the kind of stuff he does with the Wastrel and um, becoming kind of like a known corsair on that coast is going to be what sort of makes him more of a known figure in the West. So, so what do we think about some of the more supernatural elements in this, in this story? I mean, we've, we've, we've got weird giants. We've, we've got like a strange pool. We've got, you know, some a, a, a magic flute that makes people pe- people dance. I mean, is does any of this make any sense? Does it capture the imagination, or is it is it just oh here's here's some more monsters for Conan to fight? No, there's nothing in this story that really leapt out at me as something that I would want to take into my D and D game. Uh, the the monsters seem like fairly standard ogre types uh, in D and D terms. There's nothing really super distinctive about them. The um, crazy water elemental thing is kind of interesting, but not in a way that I think translates interestingly to anything in gaming. I feel like we we've, we've seen that kind of thing uh, before and better in places that have uh, looked at this and then refined the uh, refined the template. I think at best, the pool itself is a good use of terrain as a mechanic in combat. Right? Something you could use, you know, you could push PCs into or PCs could push, you know, the monsters into or something like that. But I'm with you. Otherwise, I don't know how far you can really take that. Yeah, I, I'd like to be able to say that Conan's situation, where he comes to the pirate ship, decides to murder the hawk, uh, the pirate captain, but he can't just straight up murder the pirate captain because then the crew would be like, you know, you're a murderer, we can't follow you. And uh, the pirate captain has not led them into battle where Conan can betray and cause the pirate captain to get killed. So Conan is forced to wait until um, he's in a position where he can murder the pirate captain without anybody knowing about it. I'd, I'd like to say that that's an interesting problem to put the player characters into, but it doesn't seem like the kind of 
doesn't really seem like the kind of thing that a, a typical group of player characters is going to be terribly interested in. Well, in in, in terms of, of character development, it's 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 showing Conan as a as a more thoughtful character, right? Like I, like we're we're not exactly sure if he if he boarded the ship with the in, intention of be be becoming the captain, but but definitely by the, by the time he murders the captain on the on the island, like we can like he he has a plan. Right, he 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 has a plan. He he thinks it through, and then he executes it it very very carefully. As opposed mm-hmm. to the, uh, th- you know, young thief Conan that that we see in other stories, like especially the the next one, who just murders people in 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 indiscriminately. Yeah, he's definitely tempered himself a little bit, but he's. I imagine at this point. Because um, I know we don't want to get too much into the chronology. At this point, it seems that he's been through enough to learn the value of not rushing headlong, which is really actually analogous to, especially when you get a group of really green player characters, like maybe people who it's their first campaign. They make a lot of those sort of just like run in headlong at every single monster, don't scope out the room, and they kind of learn on the fly that that's not usually the best tactic. I, I I will say that that this this story I, I don't know if I said it while we were recording but this this tale has some of the funniest uh, descriptions of Conan running away from stuff <laughs> uh, like to, like when at, at the end of the story like uh, they've they've defeated the giants and this weird water elemental thing just like explodes and is like chasing them off the island and Conan's like everyone just needs to get off the island now. And he's he's grabbing people and he's hurling them in 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 front of him and he's kicking them in the in the butt and he's in insulting their 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 ancestors just to get them 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 to move and it, it's it's very slapstick and it's 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 very very comical. Like like I have to wonder if if Howard was reading like Popeye comics before he wrote this, right? I mean it's 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 that sort of sort of you know physical humor. The pirates in general are uh, kind of lend themselves to the whole physical comedy thing. I liked the bit where, towards the end, where the uh, the pirates have foolishly eaten the poisoned fruit. Uh, they they're roused. Um, Sancha presses swords into their hands and kind of shoves them at the ogres, and they don't know they don't know what's going on. They don't know who these guys are. They don't know uh, where they are exactly or or anything. But they see you know ogres and they have swords and they just charge in. Okay. I thought that was cute. Yeah, yeah, that was that was awesome. So, have we have we gotten all the discussion that we think we can get out of the stories, or any uh, anything else that people want to want to want to pull at to to talk about? Um, just one thing: the very last paragraph of the entire story, I think, other than a statement that Conan will make in Queen of the Black Coast, encapsulates his personal ethos better than anything, and that is when he asks, you know. Um, uh, the ah, I can't believe I'm spacing on her name. When he asks her for uh, the Sancha for a when, kiss, she's when, like, when he asks like the, the completely forgettable female character. Yes, <laughs> right for a kiss, and she's like, "Oh, at a time like this," and he's like, "I think of life. The dead are dead, and what is past is done." And that's a very that's a very Conan statement. I think that that living in the now and not really worrying about 
what will happen and what has happened is such a cornerstone of his character and really explains why he keeps getting himself into the kind of messes he gets into because he really doesn't think about like oh is this going to work out well for me in the end or like man maybe I've been through something like this before or, like you know I shouldn't let history repeat itself he really just doesn't care as long as he's like out getting plunder and drinking and having fun like that's about as far as Conan sees things through at this point which is awesome I think and and it it doesn't hurt that he generally comes out out ahead right okay so our next story is rogues in the house and speaking of conan always coming out ahead uh i it was it was noted on wikipedia at least that that it's it's it, it's in this story that this is the closest conan ever comes to death in, in the original Howard uh, canon. Rogues in the House was originally published in January 1934 in Weird Tales. And the story is that uh, Conan is in a, in a city where two politicians are sort of uh, having this sort of uh, uh, rivalry and uh, one of them hires Conan to kill the other. And while Conan is sneaking into... Uh, this this guy's house. He's he's called the Red Priest. Uh, he discovers that a basically a, a gorilla named uh, Thak, uh, I think, has has already uh, killed everyone in in the house except for the the Red Priest and and taken the Red Priest's clothes and is is sitting on on his 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 throne. And Conan and his employer and and his target. Uh, all have to sort of uh, work together to foil this gorilla beast. Super gorilla. Yes. Super gorilla. And there, there's also um, there's also this this weird trap thing in the Red Priest's house where he basically traps people in a in a crystal cage and pumps uh, in strange gas that makes them fight each other. Uh, but then, but then Conan kills the uh, gor- gorilla. It's 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 one of his. Uh, deadliest combats ever, and uh, then the the uh, red priest uh, is tries tries to kill Conan, but then Conan kills him with a with with a stool. The end. Which is why the feat that gives you access to uh, training with improvised weapons is important. Well, Conan uses a couple of improvised weapons in this story. He uh, he takes out the big bad with a thrown stool. Um, delivered as a result of the big bad choosing to stand there and monologue at them for a while uh, rather than just kill them. And there's this whole weird thing at the beginning um, which doesn't really tie in all that much to the to the rest of the story where Conan is in prison at the start of it and he uh, he escapes by braining the jailer with a beef bone. And that's, that's the way Howard... Uh, Howard phrases it. Conan brained him with the beef bone. Yeah, I mean the 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 first half of this story is is really chock full of Conan just being a rogue. You know, he he he's in this city. He he murders somebody, and he he's hiding out with a with a prostitute who gives up his 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 location. So so the police tra- track him down, and it says like he like even even though he was he was found found drunk. And passed out, he manages to disembowel the captain of of the guard before they take him 
uh, way, uh, way to prison, and then he escapes prison by killing somebody with a with a beef bone, just like Jeff said. And then he goes to to the prostitute's house, kills her lover, and then dumps the prostitute in a in a cesspit. He's a very fortunate man to uh, disembowel the captain of the guard and then be taken to prison, um, largely uh, uninjured. Well, it's it, we're, we're, from, from these stories, you, you get the idea that Conan's really good at killing people, and it's really hard to injure Conan. I mean, he he is he is tough. He's badass. In uh, all three of these stories, the uh, whenever somebody sees Conan for the first time, and or he's introduced in the story, it's established that Conan is extremely muscular. Uh, he, that's called out in Rogues of the House and uh, in Pool of the Black One, and I think in Slithering Shadow, too, is, uh, man, Conan is just a huge mountain of a guy, which is something that, that hadn't been explicitly talked about or emphasized quite so much in the earlier Conan stories that we've read. I don't mean earlier in the Conan chronology, but rather the, uh, the publication order. Right, right. Yeah, I think I think Howard is is just falling into his his like he's he's got a a concrete picture of what Conan looks like like now. So he's he constantly is is able to uh, uh, bring it up so that so that we don't we don't forget that Conan's a big strong guy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and in the stories that we read earlier, um, at least in the publication order, his strength and size are not necessarily unique to him. So when he's hanging out um, in the Frost Giant's Daughter with all the Aesir and fighting the Vanir and stuff like that, it's kind of implied, I think, that those are really big, barbaric dudes, too, right? So he's just one among many, but it's really part of the whole barbarism versus civilization motif that uh, Robert E. Howard loved so much that whenever Conan's around city dwellers, he's just something that's way tougher, whether it's, you know, in... um, God in the Bull, where they describe him as being like pantherish or something like that, or tiger-like, right? He there always wants to make him like more powerful, more badass, more you know, just rough and tumble than every all the city dwellers that he hangs around, even the ones of ill repute. Hmm, I think that's uh, that's true to a large extent. So this is this is definitely taking place before uh, the pool of 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 the black one because this is this is not the the rational uh, Conan with with a plan. This is this is the Conan who just murders people who gets in his way and steals stuff and doesn't really really care. Um, so see the the conflict here is between uh, two. Two noblemen, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, Morillo, an aristocrat, and this this red priest whose actual name is N- Nabonidus. Is that am I pronouncing that correctly? Narbonidus. Narbonidus. Narbondius. Narbondius. I've, I've heard it two ways. Um, I always in my head say Nabonidus, right? But then in the Conan tele- like cartoon show from the early '90s, they say Nabonidus. So I don't know which one would be more correct. I think either kind of work. Wow, this this guy showed up in the in the in the cartoon. He's a wicked vizier. You know, you got to have at least one of those. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, so basically, uh, the the story be- begins with Morillo uh, M- M- getting a not so subtle message from Nabonidus that he's going to be assassinated and he should probably flee flee the city. Uh, and but in, instead of doing so, uh, Murillo learns that Conan's been 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 arrested, and he 
uh, hires Conan to kill Nabonidus, and he, he, he plans to spring Conan from from jail, and, which which happens, even though it, it doesn't happen quite the way that uh, Marilla planned it. And Marilla learns that the that the corrupt jailer that that, that, that was that was that was going to help him has been arrested on completely unrelated charges. He's a corrupt jailer, so you know. right. So so thinking that Conan's still in jail, Marilla decides to sneak into Nabonidus' house and kill him himself, and that's where Conan, who has escaped from jail all on on his own, and in the meantime. Uh, Gotten, gotten revenge on his his uh, prostitute friend. Uh, that's that's where Conan and M- Marilla run run into each other, and Marilla informs Conan that uh, everyone in the house has has already been been killed, and N- Nabonidus appears to have turned into this weird uh, gorilla creature. Yeah, so Conan is willing to carry out the contract on the Red Priest, even though he escaped largely under his own power rather than with the help of the corrupt jailer that Murillo bribed. But he still feels indebted to Murillo because his his escape weapon, the beef bone, is one that he got um, because he asked the aristocrat for food. Right. So he still he still got help from... Marillo, and uh, his code of honor requires him to carry out the uh, the contract as agreed to. Right, he's he's not one hundred percent despicable 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 murderer. He's he he's at least got got you know a a code that he that that that, that he follows. So yeah, he's it's a simple barbaric code that uh, you know we can contrast against the elaborate. Um, code of the red priest since later in the story um the red priest promises marillo that he will not arrange for the king to have marillo killed uh and then marillo takes that as a uh, takes him at his word then later the red priest is um preparing to murder marillo and conan both and marillo is like but you said you weren't going to do that and uh, the red priest is like i said i wasn't going to have the king do that didn't say i wasn't going to kill you myself uh, the Red Priest is a member of the decadent civilization who follows the letter of the law, while Conan, the the virtuous barbarian, follows the spirit. Right. He's 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 a classic uh, cowardly backstabbing bad guy. Mm-hmm. Right. So so long long story short, they 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 find out that Nabondas has not turned into a gorilla creature. Rather, the gorilla creature is a well. It, it says here that it's an it's an ape, but whatever. Uh, that that the g- gorilla creature is Thak, which is which is a pet of of Nabonidus. I, I think I think Nabonidus says that if you if you gave his race a few thousand years, they would eventually turn into humans. Something something like like that. So uh, Howard is a Texan who believes in evolution. It seems weird. It, that kind of stru- uh, struck me as weirdly anachronistic for the Red Priest to. Be speaking uh, of, of evolution in that way. Well, we we, we just had Zootholians who knew about radium, so. And the evolution part is kind of a cornerstone. Again, this is from like behind the scenes stuff. There was when um, 
Robert E. Howard was kind of getting ready to start writing these stories, he wrote an essay called The Hyborian Age. And he talks about, in the same way that I was saying how Atlanteans, Lemurians, all those guys, Volusia, that's a thing that happened. He talks about in that essay how those same Atlanteans descend into a state of barbarism and then kind of become almost pseudo-ape creatures again. And then through time re-evolve, like that humanity goes through this ebb and flow of evolution and de-evolution constantly in his in um, his reckoning or the way that his world works. And so Thak is likely one of those, either like he is going to be a pre-human, like hominid ancestor of, of future human race, or he may just be like a degenerate, um, uh, you know, offspring of some long, you know, uh, corrupted race of men. That, I mean, that, that, that is a really interesting idea if you're if you're building a fantasy world lots of lots of fantasy worlds have the concept of the ancient vanished empire but then you know you've 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 got all these all these dungeons that you have to fill with with monsters why not fill them with degenerate versions of the the advanced race that that used to uh in in inhabit them that seems like kind of a burrows sort of idea as much as howard and Howard loved Burroughs. I mean, later on, he writes these, this story called Amalric, which is like, it's essentially a John Carter pastiche. Like, so he's, uh, I think that most of the evidence points that he read Burroughs and liked Burroughs. I mean, at least his influence was really well known. So I think that um, it makes sense that those two would have kind of similar uh, themes. I, I think the story that Peter is referencing was, was published as part of Paizo's uh, Planet Stories line. I, th- I think I have it on, on my shelf. Cool. This uh, talk of the Hyperborean Age, Hyperborean Age as a setting um, reminds me of something that I noticed about Rogues in the House that kind of struck me as odd, which is that the city that it takes place in I don't think is ever named. No, um, it, it isn't. You're right. Pool of the Black One... Yeah. Pool of the Black One and the Slithering Shadow both contain some, like, geographic cues. The Slithering Shadow is set uh, more or less in southern Sudan. Pool of the Black One is set more or less off the uh, west coast of the Canary Islands and then the Lesser Antilles. Um, But Rogues in the House, I have no idea where it's set. Uh, According to Wikipedia, it is set in an unnamed city-state between Zamora and Carinthia. Okay, so that's in the east. So if we look at, okay, Aquilonia, where Conan becomes king, right? Just to the east of there is a country called Namidia, and if you go directly to the southeast, there's Corinthia, and just to the east of there is Zamora. Yeah, we're talking, about, kind of uh, we're talking about mythic Greece, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be probably the best uh, analog. Yeah, I mean, that's how I've been thinking about it. Aquilonia is like mythic Rome, Stygia is basically Egypt, um, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the naming, the naming, really kind of like they have. There's a guy named Petrius just running around in uh, whatever city this is in, and that sounds really Greek to me. Yeah, so, and the uh, jailer is named Athicus. Oh yeah, that's right. And and just to just to nitpick you a little bit, Jeff, uh, it is it is high Hyborian, not not Hyperborean. Uh, high, hi, just to, just to uh, cl- clarify, high Hyborian is the name that Howard came up for his universe. And Hyperborea is the term that actual ancient Greeks used for their concept of, you know, anything that was in 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 the far north. So, Hi- Hyborea is a fictional place created by Howard. Hyperborea is a f- 
fictional place also created by uh, ancient ancient Greeks. So that's that's the difference there. And to make Makes things sense. even more confu- confusing, Hyperborea is also a kingdom in Hyboria that lies just to the east of, of Asgard. Yes. Now I, and I knew that one. <laughs> like, because <laughs> that just needs to be there. <laughs> I guess so. Okay, so... We've we've got these three characters who are who are in this in this house and they're 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 trying to figure out how they're going to get past this this ape creature so that so that they can can escape and 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 it's 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 sort of from their their conversation that we get the title of of the story because it's it's revealed that basically everyone here is 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 a criminal uh, Morillo is a is a is a corrupt. Uh, uh, aristocrat Nabonidus is a corrupt uh, clergyman, and Conan's just been straight up murdering people throughout this story and and stealing from them. So, that, so that's where we get we, we we get the title "Rogues in in the House." And uh, Murillo ironically notes that uh, Conan is is the is the is the most morally honest of 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 the three characters because he's doing everything out in the in the open. He he kills people and steals from them and is is not shy about it and 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 doesn't doesn't care. So th- so this is this is sort of getting back to the to the difference between Conan's you know bar, bar, barbaric nature and these more civilized uh, uh, criminals. Right. I also love that they're, they're, these are not the only group of rogues that break in to Nabonidus's place. Right. There's a whole other. There's this group of nationalists that also decided that today would be a great day <laughs> right. to kill the Red Priest. Like they're they're just there. And and, and this this basically happens so, so that Howard can illustrate Nabonidus in ingenious trap that he's got installed in his in his throne room. Right. Can you, uh, Peter, walk us walk us through how this how this trap works? It is okay. such a D&D type trap. It is amazing and it is the cornerstone of all great traps. It's there are like levers and he pumps and because we're on lotus patrol, right? He pumps gray lotus at people because mm-hmm. that's a kind of lotus too apparently. And uh it's, there's it's, it's yeah. what you get get when when you mix white lo- lotus and black lotus. <laughs> it must be, right? So yeah, so he's got like another kind of lotus and he has these you know, these mirrors that come down. So this story is really the basis for, if you guys saw uh, Conan the Destroyer, like that movie with, with Schwarzenegger, th- a lot of that was taken from the story. So they have that, oh, like, yeah, mirror. yeah, I, I did see that, yeah. Yeah, so they have that the mirrored room and everything, and Thak is in that, and Abinitis is in that. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, so he has basically, it seems like a system of pulleys and levers and, like, tubes, Right, like Nabonidus is not really in the room, and and it's kind of implied that he's not really that close to the room, really, where the the stuff is pumping in. Right, he has this really intricate uh, apparatus that he uses. System. Yeah, periscope system, exactly. It's, it's a system of tubes, like the internet, and so it just <laughs> pumps it through. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, so, and, and this this gas makes everybody kill each other, right? Yeah, it drives them insane. So what I always think of is, um, you guys know like the Umber Hulk, how it can uh, has that daze attack Ooh. that can make you turn on your party. The confusing gaze. Yeah, it's 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 the alchemical version of the Umber Hulk's power. That's that's one of the things you forget about the Umber Hulk because you're just focusing on the fact that it's big and hard to kill. It's a j- big like beetle bear thing with yeah, a confusing I actually- gaze. Yeah, I always I can't not remember the confusing gaze because my barbarian actually accidentally wiped a party once because of the confusing gaze. Ah. So yeah, not a fun day. 
for everybody else. So uh-huh. the the story ends with uh, Conan fighting Thak, and of course Conan wins. And I was I was actually wrong when I said this is a story where the Conan comes the closest to, closest to death. That was actually his fight with Thog in the in the in the Slithering Shadow. So despite me taking me me making three attempts to to say that sentence, uh, it was it was actually wrong. So um, yeah, uh, Conan. There, there is an epic fight between Conan and this this giant ape. Uh, Conan wins, and everyone's about to go their separate ways when uh, Nabonidus says, "Well, as long as I've got you here, uh, I might as well try to kill you my myself." But then he makes the classic villain error of just talking too long, and when and while he's talking, Conan just picks up picks up a stool and throws it 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 at him. So. He's a, he's a barbarian. He doesn't know that you're not supposed to interrupt the box text. You're 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 not supposed to in, to to interrupt the cutscene. They don't they don't have those rules in Samaria, where 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 Conan comes from. If you if you talk too long, you're just you're just missing your 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 chance to kill. So yeah. And then at the end, Conan is like, I'd like to loot the house now that everybody in it's dead, but I guess we don't have time for that. And da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> I love that part, too, actually. Yeah, I mean, this 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 really is, like, it, it, it reads like a like a caper, right? I mean, there's it's, it's, just, it's just full of, of Conan getting into trouble, getting getting out of trouble, getting getting revenge on people, indiscriminately killing people that just happened to be in in his way. I mean, Conan flat out murders three people in this story that haven't really done anything to him. They just happen to be there. So yeah, I mean, this is this is Conan in his in his younger days. This is this is the Conan from the God in the in in the bowl who, you know, he just he just doesn't doesn't give a fig. He just he just wants to fight and steal and and drink and that's that's what he's all all about. Yeah, and even though the Slithering Shadow was directly adapted into a D and D module, I would say Rogues in the House is the most D and D ish of the of these three stories, because yeah. you have this trap which outside where how often do you see intricate traps like this uh, in fiction outside of gaming fiction? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe maybe like spy fiction, possibly. Maybe I mean I could kind of see recasting all the rogues in the house into a twenty like a twentieth century period piece with uh, Narbondius as a, sort of a Doctor No figure, but, like 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 heist films maybe might like, like, yeah. like might have this this kind of intricate security system, but but yeah I mean traps traps are a part of D and D that seems to get forgotten a lot. Uh, well I mean in in. Indiana Jones, I, 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 I guess, is, is, is what I think of when, when I think of think, think, think of traps. Right? Yeah, I mean, I guess the problem is that, like, narratively, traps tend to be just a distraction, right? You don't go to Strahd's castle to deal with the traps in it. You go to Strahd's castle to deal with Strahd. Right. They're 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 an an episode in in the story. They're they're a stepping stone. Right. Hero hero walks into into a room, gets into to a trap. Maybe the villain shows up and and gloats for 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 a bit, and then the hero escapes. But the trap doesn't really advance the narrative. It 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 just takes up space. And is often, I think, too easily defeated. Uh, uh, these uh, you know, it's just kind of like a disabled trap roll, and you either get it or you don't. A lot of the time, and 
I think that it, these really intricate traps, you would think that there would need to be more plot-driven reasons to, one, that they're there. You know, who would build something like this, spend that kind of GP to get this in their tower, right? One, there had to be a reason for it. But you would think something this intricate, you wouldn't, like, go in and be like, all right, uh, I clearly know how to disarm it. Roll, click, done, right? You'd think that there would be, like, a lot more that you'd have to do that you'd have to role-play through. Well, I, th- I think it's it's worth noting that, that that the heroes in the story don't even really interact with with the trap. Like we see the trap go go off when these when these completely separate uh, uh, assassins break, right break break into into the castle, and like it's it, it's there to to illustrate both how smart and and devious uh, the 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 red priest is and and. Also, that that this that this ape creature is in, intelligent because he knows to pull pull the lever to to trigger the trap that will that 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 will kill these these assassins. But our our heroes don't get caught in the trap. They don't have to de- defeat the trap. Conan avoids the trap by throwing a chair at 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 Nabon- I can't say the dude's name, the red priest. But before he can he can even 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 trigger it. Which is one way to disable the track. I, I do like that the trap has, um, like, human. it needs a human agent to make it work. I do really enjoy that about this trap, because most traps are sort of like, I mean, I guess there is Pressure always a human agent. Yeah, and I guess that is somewhat of a human agent, because you have to step on it or whatever if we're being nitpicky. But I like that there has to be someone controlling this really inter- intricate trap, and that it is sufficient to kill the, con- the controller to make the apparatus, you know, useless. Yeah, and that's another thing that, uh, well, that really kind of speaks against using traps in D&D, because if you have a guy uh, with a trap in an encounter, you're not really going to focus on the trap, you're going to focus on the guy. Right. right? So I, if you're going to have the trap be a thing in D&D, it has to happen uh, you know, in the absence of uh, a villain, which means it's happening in between the scenes in which the plot advances. Mm-hmm. Or you can do exactly kind of what Robert E. Howard did here and have the control function for the trap be uh, distinct from the room in which the trap is being triggered. Mm -hmm. Seems like the other way to get it. Also, just as an aside, I just want to point this out because I think we should take the time to like really appreciate that in these three stories, we have witnessed three of the four like most common ways, well, not necessarily just in these stories, but in the Conan stories we've read together so far, we've seen three of the four most common ways of starting an adventure, right? We have Conan hanging out in a tavern in the Tower of the Elephant, right? We have Conan, like, out of food, out of money, and out of water in a desert and going to the nearest thing that looks like it might have water. And then in this one, Conan breaking jail. All he needs is the epic, like, Lord of the Rings save the world trope, and it is the four most common ways to start a campaign. Yeah, I've I've <laughs> I, I've heard that in the in the official Conan the Barbarian role playing game, like that like that that system like every session starts out like like re- regardless of how you did in the last session, every session starts out with you with no money and probably in in jail. Right. And and I love that about that. And another one that does it really well. Um, there's an OSR game called uh, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. Really is long that name. The really one, is that the one where you get experience points for gold, but only for spending gold on uh, partying? I think so. 
I think I think that might be a mechanic in there. But they do have on their site for their like you know these are some useful things to help you run this game. They have a fun way to start an adventure, and it is it's a random chart that you roll on. It's like adventurer gambled it all away. Adventurer got robbed in an alley, and it always just divests them of their loot as fast as possible. Which I like because you do have this problem that after your first adventure, a party of first level. PCs has more money than like everyone around them. Mm-hmm. You know, there really isn't a lot of impetus for them to continue adventuring because they live a very comfortable lifestyle now. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's not a lot in the in the game to 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 encourage you to spend money on like frivolous stuff. Like like I mean, most most of the groups I I run like they don't even want to want to sleep in 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 inns or like they don't want to bother with 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 the role playing of it right like oh mm-hmm. we 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 stay in the inn we 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 mark off off one one gold piece and we move move on right so like there's there there's not there like there's no incentive like un, like unless they're really into role playing that exact thing there there's no incentive for them to like buy buy castles or worry about servants or you know, get get involved in in you know the the local scene or or anything like 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 that. I think by default, uh, you know, a player character is like Scrooge McDuck. You know, he bought that <laughs> coat that he wears uh, at a garage sale in like 1893, and he wears it for the next 50 years. <laughs> right? How yeah. often? How often in yeah, a D game has somebody bought a new set of clothes? You make yeah. you get one at character creation, maybe mm-hmm. two. And that's it. Those are the clothes that you wear for the rest of your life. And, Which and paints an interesting picture about after going through all of, like, you know, someone launches a fireball at the party. Like, how threadbare are these guys walking around? <laughs> like, I mean, it's not, an, it's not enough that they're basically vagabonds, right? Now that they're, now I'm just always going to picture the PCs in my game as, like, loosely, yeah, as rags or, like, loosely clothed bag of vagabonds now. Uh, maybe they have like Superman's uh, superpower from the 1980s, which was that his uh, costume uh, was impervious, but only when he was wearing it. <laughs> it's made out of Kryptonian fabric. No, he had no. It was it was made out of cotton. He had oh. a force field that was like an eighth of an inch. Oh that yeah, out from his That's body. Awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. That 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 era of Superman is really really interesting for a lot of reasons, but. It's my favorite because you know I was twelve when I was reading it. So yeah, like apparently, like they they tried to explain that like all of his powers were based on the fact that he's psychic, and like when he like his like his his flying is just self telekinesis, and his in invulnerability is that is that force shield like you like you mentioned, and the fact that like he can lift like a like a big thing like like a plane or a, a battleship, right? And it's and even telekinesis, though, but it's only telekinesis of things he can touch. It's tactile telekinesis, right? And th- and then they and then they when they when they made uh, Superboy the the clone of Superman, like that was his chief power was. Well, like, like he had, he had just that. He, he had the tactile telekinesis, and he didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of the the other stuff. But those Superboy comics make so much more sense to me now. I always wondered why that was. But that was that was the that was the Superboy that that was the clone. That was not the Super Superboy that was just a younger version of Superman. Who right, the, the Superboy that like didn't exist in the comics. Yeah, Connell as opposed to Kal-el. All right, so see now you 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 came to learn something about Conan, and you ended up learning something about 1980s era Superman. You're well, welcome, I, audience. I I don't think that that Superboy showed up until after 1990. 
but yeah, he he showed up after after the death of Superman thing. But yeah. anyways, um, man, I think I think we should start a separate show about uh, about Superman. Oh, there's so much you can say about Superman. There, there is. He's there what is. a what a guy. What a guy. What a guy. <laughs> he's he's definitely no no Conan. He would he would not indiscriminately murder three three people and then and and dump a prostitute <laughs> <laughs> into a cesspit. <laughs> into a cesspit. Okay. So oh, getting man. getting back to the subject at hand, rogues in the house. Is there is there anything else in the story that someone wants to pull out and examine and talk about? So I thought that the um, the periscopes in uh, Rogues in the House were cool, and the description of them was interesting. And it's the sort of uh, thing that I imagine seeing as a dungeon feature in you know old school dungeons, the periscope room, where you can spy on the rest of the dungeon. Well, if, if you if you I want can't, to I don't have a have a that in a dungeon, but it's just it strikes me as the sort of thing that I would see. It's mm. it's it's a great device if you, if you want to have a a dungeon where there's an actual you know dungeon master like like there's a there's an evil wizard or whatever at the center of, of the dungeon and he's he's actively watching you and and you know setting off off traps like that's that's a great a great device to to make that happen. And it's cool like the, the, it's kind of like described as use of mirrors right creative use of mirrors I like that I like using relatively low technology to get these you know, rather high tech results where you have like a security system. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's awesome. Is there, is there anything else that anyone wants to, wants to pull out of either this story or the slithering shadow or the pool of the black one as, as something that they really want to talk about before we, before we wrap up? I feel like we've covered it. All right. Well, this has been an amazing discussion. I, I think that these were some of Howard's, uh, better stories. Uh, there were certainly some 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 problems, but there was also a lot of really interesting uh, meaty stuff, and and there were there were some great funny parts too. So uh, I want to thank uh, our guest Peter Foxhoven. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. And I hear you have a new blog. Yes, I do. Uh, interestingly enough, called Crom Count the Dead, right? Because who doesn't love Conan's God? Um, so it's just www.cromcountthedead.com, all one word, lowercase, whatever. Um, and it talks about sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, you know, regular kind of nerd stuff. Is that is that Crom you know, with, a, with a C or Crom with a K? It's Crom with a C. Imagine my delight when I found out that domain name was not taken. Well, everybody loves Crom except for Conan himself, who, as I recall, is like, uh, you know, Crom, I can take or leave. Yeah, that, that's... and. That I kind of talked about a little bit um, when we were in Zuthal the Dust, maybe. But uh, he, no, no, in uh, Pool of the Black Ones, when we read uh, Queen of the Black Coast, he goes on this awesome tirade about his opinion of gods. And it's just shocking. I mean, for its era, for a society he's in where everybody has, you know, is constantly prostrating in front of idols and making sacrifices, he has this very like, eh, I don't worship him. There's no, I think the line is actually, there is no hope here or hereafter in the cult of my people. I think, right? I think we will, we will get to Queen of the Black Coast in the next Conan episode that we do, which will be three episodes from now. So we can all look forward to that. And Jeff, as always, you have, you have your 
webpage? Jeffwick.com. J-E-F-F-W-I-K.com. Have you written I've recently, anything? I've recently started uh, updating it again, talking about Herodotus. Um, really, the ancient world circa 500 BC has an awful lot in common with the uh, Hyborian Age. So if you're interested in that, you might be interested in that. What a coincidence. Who would have thought? It's staggering. Indeed, Jeff. It is staggering. Listeners, if you would like to get in touch with us to express your thoughts and opinions, or maybe to ask a question, or even to be on the show as a guest, you can email the Tome Show at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line, and that way it will get to us. Our next show will be about the short story A Martian Odyssey by Stanley Weinbaum. After that, we will discuss the novel The Case of Charles Dexter Ward by H.P. Lovecraft. And finally, we will return to the Hyborian Age with three more Conan stories, Shadows in the Moonlight, Queen of the Black Coast, and The Devil in Iron. All of these are available on the web for free, so you should have no trouble finding them. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 19, The Stories of Conan by Robert E. Howard, Part 3. Thanks for listening.